laughing because y'all know it's true. Men have selective hearing, amen? All the women said amen. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I have a special invitation just for you. <laughs> no. Well, one of the hardest things in marriage is definitely communication. This morning, we want to talk about marital communication. I read a very interesting article this week that I wanted to share with you. It seems that there was a Russian, or not a Russian, he was a... Uh, uh, who was he? I'll tell you in just a minute. A German. He was a German. There was a German professor, and he studied 5,000 German husbands and wives on how often they talked to each other. Here was his results. Listen to his results. After two years of marriage, most of them managed two or three minutes of chat over breakfast, more than 20 minutes over the evening meal, and a few more minutes in bed. By the sixth year, that was down to 10 minutes a day, a state of almost what he calls, quote, almost total speechlessness was reached by the eighth year of marriage, end of quote. So what he's basically saying is, after year eight of a married couple's life, they don't have anything else to say to one another. That is a very, very sad commentary on the state of marriage, in particular, the communication that we have with each other. Uh, it's vitally important to understand that the health of our marriage, husband and wife marriage, depends on the communication that we have with our spouse. The same thing could be said spiritually. Uh, the strength of your spiritual health is going to be in direct relationship to the communication that you have with God and the communication that God has with you. So if we want healthy marriages then we must understand that it's got to be, there's got to be healthy communication. Now last week we talked about the foundation. Remember the foundation uh, of this uh, issue of, of communication or the foundation of marriage is built on Jesus Christ and we talked about the walls of purpose and then we talked about the roof of grace. Uh, let me add something to that if I could. Inside that house, what lives in that home is communication. Husbands and wives must continually reconnect and establish and continue to work on the communication that they have with one another. Solomon had something to say about our words in this arena of communication over in Proverbs chapter number 15. In Proverbs chapter number 15, in verse number 4, Solomon wrote a passage of scripture that I'd like to use as our springboard verse this morning as we get into the me this message which I've entitled, The Art of Marriage uh, Concerning This Issue of Communication. Proverbs chapter number 15, verse number 4. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's word together. Notice what the scripture says here in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You may be seated this morning. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Over the course of my ministry, I have done a lot of premarital counseling. I've done a lot of crisis marital counseling, very difficult times. I've seen wonderful times. I've seen very, very hard times. But one thing reigns true over the course of my counseling ministry. 99.99% of the time, the challenges that occur in my office when I'm studying spouses, when, when they're in my office, has to revolve around the topic of communication. Communication is so vitally important. 
I've heard individuals say over the course of my years in ministry something like this. We just don't communicate like we used to. Signifying that there was a time early in their marriage where there was an open avenue of communication. But something has occurred over that process where the communication isn't just what it used to be. Here's another one I heard. I've heard wives say, my husband never talks to me. He just doesn't talk. I mean, he talked before, but, but, but all of a sudden now he's, he's completely shut down. I've heard uh, one individual say this, I feel like I'm being dragged kicking and screaming into every conversation. You see, most marriages seem to bog down in the quagmire of bad communication. And when communication breaks down, barriers begin to build up. And when those barriers begin to build up, all of a sudden what happens is our spouse begins to turn a cold shoulder and that defines the relationship of many Christian marriages. God never intended for us to give our spouses the cold shoulder. He wants and encourages us that the communication that we have with our wife bring life. The communication that we share with our husband ought to bring life. This is what Solomon is talking about when he talks about a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. That word wholesome tongue is talking about our speech. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word communicates a gentleness in our conversation. What he's saying, if I could, by application would be something like this. Gentle words bring life and health, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. I've met over the course of my ministry many spouses, whether they be husbands or wives, whose spirits have been crushed. Why? All because of the words that come out of our mouth. And so this morning, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to look at three things concerning communication. These things are practical things. These things are you can, you can take and you can put some things into place today. And I hope that you'll use your, your bulletin that you got on the back side of the bulletin. I hope that you'll, you'll take a few notes as the Lord speaks to you this morning. And may it be something that you can implement in your marriage. And regardless of how long you've been married, whether it be a year, whether it be uh, 10 years, 40 years, or 60 years, we always want to continue to be learning when it comes to this issue of communication in our marriage. So number one, the first thing I want us to see in the Bible is I want you to see that we were created for communication. We were created for communication. We find this over in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter number 3, you notice that when God created this world and created everything into existence there, He gave man the ability to communicate. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That, that moment in time, we, we find that he couldn't find Adam. Where was Adam? He was hiding. Why was Adam hiding? He was hiding because he had communicated with his wife. Well, what did he communicate with his wife? Well, remember, his wife communicated with the devil, with Satan, the serpent. And the serpent communicated with Eve. And then Eve partook of the fruit and then communicated with Adam. And then Adam, in turn, communicated with his wife. And then Adam, in turn, communicated with God. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. There are levels of communication. As a matter of fact, I love what Adam said when he was communicating with God. When, he, when God gave him uh, the wife that he had formed out of Adam, he said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her Eve, for she was taken out of man. I'm going to call her woman. What was he doing? He was communicating with God and establishing the foundation to communicate with his wife. And you'll notice that when God formed Eve out of man, he took Eve out of the rib, out of the side of man. He did not take Eve out of his heel to be crushed. 
He did not take Eve out of the mind to be lorded over. No, he took him out of the sight. So that we see that there's a parallel, a leak, an equalness, if you will. A submission to one another. Woman taken out of man. Uh, we'll get into this here in just a little bit uh, later on in the message. But uh, Peter says that we are living this grace of life together. And we need to be heirs together in this grace of life. That's what God intended from the very beginning. And in this intention, it revolves in the marriage around the same thing it revolves around spiritually, and that's communication. God wants us to have healthy communication with our spouse. And so if we were created to communicate, then marital communication is designed to bring about three things in your marriage. What are those three things? Number one, the first thing marital communication ought to bring about is beauty. It ought to bring about beauty. When you communicate with your spouse, there ought to be a beauty that, that flows out of that communication. Listen to what Solomon said in Song of Solomon chapter 4 in verse number 7. He testifies to this fact. He says to his wife, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Solomon, when, he, when you read the Song of Solomon, which by the way is a beautiful, beautiful conversation between a husband and a wife, you'll see in that text that what he's trying to do is he's trying to communicate two types of beauty in his wife. Did you see it there? He says, you're altogether beautiful. Altogether, that means there are several things that are put together that make you beautiful. What's he referring to? Number one, he's referring first of all to her outward beauty. He says, you are beautiful to look at. When I look at you, you are absolutely beautiful. Really, the fact of the matter is simply this. If you're married today, you got married because, listen, you thought who you were looking at. You, you were attracted to them in some way. Now, I know that may not be so much for the ladies, but I'm telling you, ladies, for the men, that was true. I mean, he saw you coming down across the room and just, man, just flipped out head over heels for you. I, I, Miriam and I were high school sweethearts. I remember the day that I met her, the very first time. I remember what she's wearing. I mean, I'm just saying, she was a knockout. I thought, my stars, and I was just a little kid. But what, what do you say? I'm talking about God was doing something in me with her. She looked good. But the problem is, is we're getting older. Look at that person beside you and said, you age today. <laughs> so he says, yeah, but that preacher might do it, but I ain't falling for that. <laughs> no, look, listen, let's face it. We're, we're all suffering from, from the disease of OLD, right? We're getting old. We're getting older. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, remember he's the wisest man uh, in the Bible outside of God himself and Jesus Christ, he says you're altogether beautiful. So not only is he talking about the outward beauty of his wife, he's also referring to the inward beauty of his wife. Uh, might I say, my wife has not aged a day since we've got married. Amen, guys? Neither is your wife. Amen? Well, y'all some smart men. That's the smartest congregation of men I've ever been around. Our wives have not aged at all. As a matter of fact, they look even more beautiful today than they did the day we got married. Y'all done figured this out. Y'all doing good. Thank you, dear brother. I see that hand. I will. But you know what's gotten even stronger? What's gotten even stronger in our spouses is the inward beauty. And it ought not to be so just with our wives. It ought to be for us men, too. 
Now, how do we get our inward beauty on spot? How do we get it on target? How do we get our inward beauty to, to be even more beautiful? I'll tell you how, for a Christian, you get closer to God. The closer you get to God, the more your inward beauty uh, is built up and the more it is revealed through your speech, through your actions, through your attitude, through your reactions. And so Solomon in his wisdom understood this. And so he said, you're altogether beautiful. You're beautiful on the outside and you're beautiful on the inside. Communication ought to reveal beauty. Number two, communication also ought to reveal intimacy. Solomon again uh, uh, talked about all through the book of Song of Solomon, the beauty of his, of his wife. She's altogether beautiful. Now, I do not recommend you read the Song of Solomon uh, today and then go to lunch uh, with your spouse and tell your wife husbands that her nose is like a strong tower. I don't suggest you do that. But you ought to tell her how beautiful she is. That's what Solomon was doing. He was referring to how beautiful she was. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us, Paul said something about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, when he says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. What's he talking about? He's talking about the beauty, if you would, of intimacy. He says, not only do you have this beauty inwardly and outwardly, but there's also this intimacy that we communicate with our wife. This, this non Nonverbal, or what is added to verbal, nonverbal communication in, in relationships, in intimacy. And then he goes on to say that not only should we see this beauty and in intimacy, but a third thing, if we've been created to communicate, the third thing we see is that there ought to be harmony in our communication. Harmony. Genesis chapter 2. Verses 24 and 25. In Genesis 2, 24 and 25, you see a theme that's a, uh, that was established when God brought Adam to Eve. And that theme runs all through the Bible. And that theme is called oneness. What God has joined together, let no man separate. The two shall be one flesh. This oneness that he's referring to is speaking of harmony. There ought to be a oneness in our communication. Now what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying you ought to be able to read your spouse's mind. That's impossible. But what I am saying is that you ought to be able to communicate with your spouse and that communication ought to grow past the eight-year mark and it needs to continue to grow and it needs to grow in such a capacity that you are a student of your spouse and in being a student of your spouse, you know not what she's thinking, but you know what she's feeling feeling and not only do you know what she's feeling you want to meet the need that she has in that relationship and in meeting the need in that relationship again you're not reading her mind she's not reading your mind but you are loving her from the aspect of meeting those needs in harmony you're one now can, can you can you um, pastor can you give us a, an example I'm going to try to apply this the best that I can Husbands, what your wives want uh, you to know, or what, excuse me, let me put it this way. What your wives want to know from you is this, husbands. Your wives want to know that you love her more than you love college football. It's true. I mean, it really, it's true. They want to know that. But let me in on, let you ladies in on a little secret. Your husbands want to know that you love them more then this is us on TV. They do. They, they, listen, they want to know, husbands want to know, that you love them more than, uh, the, more than you love saving money at Kroger or 70% off or whatever the court case may be. They want to know that. 
Uh, why? Because there's a harmony in marital communication. And this harmony in marital communication is wrapped up, if you would, in, in showing and demonstrating the love that we have for each other, not just with our words, but also with our actions. Now, you can fill in the blank in there. I use college football, and I, I use uh, This Is Us. But you, you, you can put anything in there. You, uh, you can put uh, uh, hunting. You can put fishing. Uh, you can put shopping. I mean, you can just put all kind of stuff in there. But our spouses need to know that, we, that they uh, are communicating with us in these three areas. Now, this is we were created for communication. Let me show you, number two, a second thing very quickly. Let me show you the barriers of communication. The barriers of communication. So if we are created to if we were created to communicate, then there's naturally, because of the fall, there's going to be some barriers in our communication. My proof text here for this to help support this area of uh, challenges or barriers in communication is James chapter one and verse 19. In James 1:19, we find these words. James is writing, he says, "So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak." And slow to anger, slow to wrath. So he tells us here in this passage of scripture, there's a tendency for us, if you would, to be uh, to, to to cut off somebody when they're talking, especially our spouse. There's this uh, tendency if we have that we have to jump on our spouse before they get all the information out. There's this tendency that we have to to blow up and be angry without knowing all the facts in marriage. This exists. We know it exists. And so that scripture in James chapter one verse nineteen. If it's applied to marriages, just simply says this. We need to be aware of this, and we need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Why? Because communication is hard. And here's the question. What makes it so difficult? What makes communication with our spouses so difficult? The reason why it's so difficult is because we enter into marriage with some barriers that we have brought with us. I mean, you think about it. You've got two individuals. They meet, they fall in love. These two individuals were raised in separate homes. They were raised with separate lifestyles, raised with separate values, raised with different morals in the family, different family dynamics, and now they're coming together. If they don't make proper adjustments during the first seven years of marriage, it's going to set the tone. You see, there's a reason why those marriages over in Germany are ending after eight years. The reason why they don't have anything else to say to one another is because both of them have been bullheaded and they haven't been willing to make the proper adjustments when they get married. You know, the Bible tells us that we've got the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are coming against us every day individually as Christians. So much the more in relationship to marriage. If the devil in his limited time that he has on this earth can get in the middle of your marriage and can pull you guys apart, if he can pull us apart, then he's done his job. That's why we've got to protect the intimacy that we have in the communication aspect. And if we protect it with the Lord, we'll also protect it with our spouse. The principle is always true. The closer you get to him, the closer you'll get to your spouse. And so the question that I was on the table this morning is, what are the barriers to communication? Now, there are too many for me to cover in what time that I have. But I do want to give you a few. Here's number one. The first one I want us to think about is this, baggage. Baggage. Every one of us bring baggage into the relationship. We all have it. Why? Because we were raised in different homes. And when we come in to these homes, uh, sometimes it's manifested in this. You know what I learned? My wife don't cook like my mom. Honey, I just wish you'd cook like my mama. 
Well, guess what? She wasn't raised in your home. She don't know how your mama cooks. She may have cooked with your mom, but she's not going to cook like your mama. She's going to cook like her mama. And so we've got, as, as husbands, we've got to make proper adjustments to that. And in properly adjusting to that, that means showing your wife grace. And showing her grace means not making a big deal about when she burns the oatmeal for the first couple of times. We bring this baggage in. Maybe here's another one that I've noticed over the course of my years of ministry. Uh, many individuals have been taught this principle. This principle: Children should be uh, seen and not heard. That's how I was raised. Children should be seen and not heard. Here's the challenge when it comes to that. If you let that principle play out on into teenage years and you let that principle play on out into adult years, what ends up happening is the children didn't talk at all. And so you have a 23, 24, 25-year-old who's interested in a, in a female, and what he'll end up doing is he'll communicate in a goal-oriented setting for a, for a period of time, and then when he gets to the goal of marrying her, he re reverts back to that. Uh, children should be seen and not hurt, and he shuts completely down, and he doesn't talk anymore. And what the wife sees that is deceptive. He deceived me. Man, he was all talk when we were dating. I couldn't shut him up. But now that, he, now that we're married, I can't get him to talk. What happened? He reverted back to that baggage that he had. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There comes a time in our marriage, guys, listen to me very carefully. we got to grow up. And in growing up, that means not just uh, having a career where we provide for our family. It means not forgetting what got us our spouse in the first place. Number two, let me give you a second one very quickly. Isolation. Here's another uh, barrier. Isolation. We are living in an isolating culture. You think about this. Things like television, internet, video games. All these things isolate us from, uh, from the individuals that we love the most. And in this isolation, what ends up happening is when you're isolated, you fall into despair. And any time you fall into despair, you'll do something that you wouldn't normally do under regular circumstances. So what do you mean? Th think about this illustration. Over in 2 Samuel chapter 11, you find David. Remember King David? In this passage of Scripture, David was supposed to be out to war with kings. For whatever reason, he wasn't. But with this is what we can deduct from that story. Number one, you can deduct that David was not doing what he should have been done. He was isolated. He was by himself at home laying in bed. If you're by yourself lying at home laying in bed and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're probably suffering from some form of depression or discouragement. David, in some way, shape, or form, found himself in a position where he isolated himself. We see the results of that isolation by him falling into despair. That despair that he was in caused him to do something that he would not normally do under regular circumstances. And what was that? Watch Bathsheba take a bath. But because he did that, because there was isolation, because there was despair, he ended up doing something that he would not normally do under regular circumstances. He was a man after God's own heart. And I'm telling you, if a man after God's own heart can get isolated and find despair, so can we. And so what happened in his life is this. He did something he would not normally do. He had Uriah the Hittite killed, her, her husband killed because of his own lust and passion. I'm telling you, it is dangerous for us to have extended periods of isolation. Now, every one of us need a little bit of alone time. 
Every now and then, we need a little bit of alone time. But extended periods of isolation brings despair. And when there's despair in a relationship, I've, in my years of ministry, I've noticed when there's despair in the relationship, if we don't get the connection back to the husband and wife, that relationship will end in a divorce. Number three, pressure. Pressure is another barrier. We're bombarded with outside pressure. Jobs, children, activities, church meetings, all the like. These can steal quality time from your spouse. It can steal quality time from your husband, for your wife. Listen to me very carefully. I hope that this week, sometime this week, you will carve out some time to spend with your spouse. Uh, listen to this. A marriage counselor in Minnesota had found that spending at least five and a half hours a week interacting with your spouse will strengthen your marriage. That's vastly opposite as to what was happening in Germany. They weren't spending time together, and so they got married and started drifting apart. God never intended for your marital relationship to drift apart. He wants the pressures that come in on your life to draw you together, not pull you apart. Those children that you have together, it's to drive you together. It's not to pull you apart. It's the world. It's the society. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Those are the things that are causing marriages to be pulled apart. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is the devil. Here's another one very quickly. Man, i got to hurry. Laziness. Number four, laziness. We tend to get lazy uh, in our marriages. I mean, we do. I mean, let's face it. You go to work all day. You work hard all day. You come home. What do you want to do? You want to put a, a rear end in the recliner. I mean, you just. I mean, you do it. That's what. That's what you do. And uh, there's no cooperation in the home. Everybody's worked hard, but somebody's got to step up to the plate and get some things done. Uh, many times it's the spouse. Many times it's the wife. Listen to me very carefully. We ought not to let laziness invade our marital relationships. Now, I, I'm preaching here from a perspective that only you know if your relationship is lazy. Only you know it. You know what it can be and you know what it is today. And one of the reasons why it's not what it should be is because of laziness. Yes, it's hard to get a babysitter and go out. Yes, it's hard to do these things. But I'm telling you, listen, you can have quality time with your spouse and not have to go to a five-star restaurant every time. No, you can, have a, you can have quality time with your spouse just by putting the kids to bed and drinking a cup of, of hot tea that'll help you go to sleep. I mean, you can spend quality time together. It's not, qua, qua, it's not quantity that's at the topic here. It's quality. Quality time with your spouse is what will help establish and strengthen the relationship. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? How do I have quality time and not let laziness uh, interfere with my marital communication relationship? Three things you need. Number one, the first thing you need is you've got to make time. Time. T-I-M-E. You've got to make time. That's the hardest thing that we all have in our marriage relationship is time. We've got to carve out the time to do it. Number two. The second one is effort. Effort. We've got to make an effort to do this. Now, uh, when I hit this uh, topic right here, when I talk about effort, I always have a lady come up to me and say, Are you saying it's hard to love me? Because it ain't hard to love me. Look, look, I'm just here to tell you, the bottom line is just simply this. If I could use another synonym, it would be this, energy. Okay, how about that? Energy. I'm not saying you're hard to love. You, you Listen, you may be the easiest person to love on this planet, but the fact of the matter, to have a healthy relationship, you've got to work hard at it. And it's not that you're hard to love. 
It's like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are all crowding in on our relationships. And we want the proper relationship to surface to the top. Therefore, we've got to put energy or an effort into the relationship or laziness will set in. And then number three, planning. You've got to make plans. Uh, many of you know that Miriam, uh, she got sick on our 20th uh, year anniversary. Uh, so we haven't, we haven't gotten away to, for our celebration yet for 20 years. We're going to. We're planning on it. We've got plans to do so. We're not just going to let that thing slip by. It's 20 years. She's put up with me for 20 years. I need to buy her something. I don't know what, but something. And then number, number five, the fifth barrier to communication is fear. Fear. Um, we may be fearful of showing our emotions or being rejected if we communicate openly and honestly in the marriage relationship. I have seen this play out many times in my office. Probably the most prominent one that happened was a couple came into my office. They sat down. They were having intimate issues. I evaluated them. I asked them several questions, and it seems that, that everything seemed to be in order. They were in church. They were in Sunday school. They, um, uh, they were... Um, uh, praying together, they were communicating regularly, they were regularly going out on dates, they were just suffering uh, very, very hard intimately, and um, I just simply stopped the conversation, I said, I, I need to ask your wife a question, and I turned and I asked the wife this simple question, have you ever been sexually abused? At which stage, and this couple had been married for 13 years, they had two children, she began to weep right there on my couch. I mean, just really began, she broke and began to just weep. The husband shrugged his shoulders up at me and, 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 and shook his head in, in, in shock. And uh, after she settled down just for a minute, she began to share that when she was a teenager in high school, she was taken advantage of by an individual on a, on a trip, on a band trip, and she was sexually abused. In 13 years, she had never shared that with her husband. Never shared it with him. As a matter of fact, when they were dating, it was never shared. When they were uh, courting, it was never shared. When they were engaged, it was never shared. And for 13 years of the marriage, it was never shared. And what was ending up happening in the bedroom is that all these memories were coming back. All these memories came. I, listen to me. If you're not open and honest with your spouse, it's only a matter of time. If you were sexually abused, those memories will come back, and they'll come back with a fury. And what happened in this case is they became, they flooded back with her husband, and she shut down on him. And he thought there was something wrong with him. He's, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? The fact of the matter is he wasn't doing anything wrong. What happened is she was fearful. She brought that barrier into the relationship and she was fearful of telling him because she thought he would reject her and leave her and go find somebody else. Listen to me very carefully. One of the biggest barriers in our marriage today is fear. And we've got this closet and behind that closet are all kinds of things in our past that we're scared to death that if we open the door, our spouse are going to hate us, they're going to leave us, they're not going to love us. And I'm telling you, if we don't exercise grace when it comes to this relationship, we will find ourselves in a marriage deteriorating situation. Why? Because there's not open communication flowing back and forth. So here's the question. If there are barriers to communication, if we are created to communicate, then what, what really is, what is the art of communication? And that's the last thing I want to give you this morning. 
the art of communication. Time is flying by. My time is just about up. You need to listen really fast because I've got uh, several things that I want to give you, practical things that will help you do the art of communication. Number one, the first thing you need to understand is where this art of communication comes from. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. In the latter part of that verse, Peter is saying to the husbands, he says that we are heirs together of the grace of life. Now, he's not, Peter's not saying him and husbands are heirs together. Peter is saying husbands and wives are heirs together in the grace of life. That is, God in his wonderful love extended to us a tremendous grace by allowing us to have life. And we get to live that life together with our spouse. And that is a tremendous grace that God has given us. So, if we're going to live the grace of life together, and we're going to practice the art of communication, here's what we've got to do. Number one, the first thing we must do is we must commit to communication. We must commit to communication. As a couple before God, we've got to commit ourselves to practical biblical communication. Jot this verse down. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 21. Just simply says this, God made your ears, God made your eyes. And because God made your ears and eyes, uh, He knows what we need to be doing with our ears and with our eyes. If God made our ears and eyes, then He made us in such a way to receive proper information from our spouse and respond to our spouse with the proper answer. Communicate, commit to communicate. Number two, let me give you a second one. Accept that God alone is the perfect communicator. Uh, here's a revelation. I know this isn't new, but I'm telling you it's true. We are not perfect communicators. So wives, listen to me. I'm making this confession before you today. Your husband is not the perfect communicator. Now here's the revelation. Neither are you. Neither are you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that only God is the perfect communicator. We see that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Remember when Moses was trying to lead the people out of Israel? And uh, he's there at the burning bush. Uh, and as he's there, uh, he says, God, how am I going to do this? Who, do I, who am I going to tell him sent me? What, what, what do I say? And what does God say? You tell him that the I am sent you. I am. I am what? I'm the perfect communicator. I'm the perfect Savior. I'm the perfect uh, God. I'm, the, I'm perfect in every way. So we must recognize and accept that only God alone is the perfect communicator if we're going to practice proper communication with our spouse. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that if we accept this, we'll be patient with our spouse. Number three. The third uh, practical point I want to give you is that we ought to recognize the time. Recognize the time. What are you saying? I I'm saying that we need to recognize that there are times of spontaneous communication and then there are times of structured communication. We all have it in our life. We all have those times of spontaneous communication where you spontaneously need to communicate with one another. Something might come up, a tragedy, a joy, something wonderful, something really bad. A spontaneous communication between husband and wife happens. But also there's got to be structured communication that takes place in the marriage relationship. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 23, the Bible says, How good is a timely word. You've thought about it. You want to communicate with us. Miriam and I did this this weekend. Uh, we di uh, do our budget planning. Uh, pretty much when church is doing their budget planning. So we're doing our home budget planning. And uh, just got together and we had to have a serious conversation about our budget. About our finances. Where we're at. Where we're going. Where do we see ourselves in, in three years, four years, five years. Financially. 
Very important. If you don't have that type of communication with your spouse, then where are you going? Where are you you heading? We've got to know where we're heading. So we've got to recognize the time. Number four, beware of the power of words. Beware of the power of words. Your words can heal and your words can hurt. Here's several verses I'd love for you to jot down. Proverbs 18, 21. It just says in that verse that your words have the power of life and death. Death. Proverbs 18, 21. Proverbs 12, 25. Proverbs 12, 25 just simply says this, that an anxious heart weighs down on a person, but kind words cheer an individual up. Sometimes we just need to be cheered. Proverbs 15, 4. Uh, That passage of Scripture says that the tongue is, is a tree of life. It can bring life. Proverbs 16, 24. The Bible says that sometimes pleasant words are just like honeycomb. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, uh, verse number 19. It talks about here when words are many, uh, sin is not absent. But the, t- the one who holds his tongue is wise. There are times when we just need to keep our mouth shut, guys. I mean, we can't fix it all. And I, listen, I don't care how long you've been married. That's something we constantly need to be reminded of. Why? Because we want to fix it. And ladies, and I just add this to you, wives. Listen, your husband naturally, God created him. He wants to fix it. Be patient with him along these lines. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What's he saying? You've got to be careful. Your reaction, how you react, is more vitally than how you act. Number five. I've got to give you this fifth one. I'm out of time, but I want to give you these last two. Focus on listening. Focus on listening. We call this empathy. Empathy is putting yourself in your spouse's shoes. If I put myself in your shoes, Miriam, and I hear you, then I'm going to respond differently. Then if I'm standing in, in my shoes and I'm just receiving the information and trying to fix it. So if you want to really hear your spouse, then you need to be empathetic. Put yourself in your spouse's shoes. Same thing with wives. Wives, you got to put yourself in your husband's shoes. See it from his perspective. Rick and Kay Warren, got a, they have a principle they practice along, this, along these lines right here. What they do is they simply look at each other and say, Listen, I need you to like this for five minutes. She's laughing because I practiced that this weekend. That's why my wife is laughing. If anybody's wondering why she was the only one that laughed, it's because I practiced this principle this weekend. I, I, told, I asked Miriam, I said, Miriam, I need, I'm going to share this with you. i got this budget here. Uh, I know you got some thoughts. I need you to like this for five minutes. And she stopped right when her vehicle got, got in the driveway. They lived out in the country, I mean way out in the boondocks. And uh, she thought she'd get the mail. So she opened her door and she got out of the car. She shut the door while it was still running. Keys in it running. Air conditioning was on. Everybody's face. The, the, the mailbox was just right there. She went over, got the mail out of the mailbox, went back to the car. And within, within three seconds, that two-year-old, as only a two-year-old can do, wiggled out of that seat, jumped in the front seat, and locked the doors. The mother who has the mail in her hands looking at her two-year-old saying, Unlock the door, honey. And the two-year-old going, What? Unlock the door, honey. What? Unlock the door. What? And then the, the, the kid starts playing, you know, and playing with the radio. And the little guy in the back seat just enjoying the time, you know. They're just having the best time. And mom's out there panicking because she can't get in the vehicle. Dad's at work. The neighbors are too far away. She's sitting there pleading with a two-year-old, pay attention, unlock the door, unlock the door. And the two-year-old's not having it. In an act of desperation, she knocks on the door and says, honey, please unlock the door. And the little girl, ah, 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 
finally the mother in brokenness placed her hand on top of the car and just began to weep and cry. And the little girl noticed her mama was crying. She jumped out of the passenger side over into the, over into the driver's side and pushed her hands up against the glass and said, Mama, Mama. And the mother looked down and she said, Do you want me to roll down the window? In marriage, it seems that when it comes to communication, one spouse is on the inside, and one spouse is on the outside. The doors are locked, and the windows are up. And there's somebody leaning on the car, weeping and crying. And all we've got to do to resolve this conflict is roll down the window. I don't know about you. I don't know about your family dynamics or what's going on in your relationship, but I know this. Unless you practice the biblical principle of communication with your spouse, then your relationship will just kind of stagnate and plateau. What I've seen end up happening is you take a marriage and you let that happen. Kids, career, jobs, years. And if the years pass and you put 20 years on a marriage, you've got two people living under with one roof, and they've never communicated since they said, I do. What ends up happening is the marriage begins to get desperate. And this deterioration in the marriage leads to isolation. And isolation leads to despair. And despair can very easily push over into the arena of divorce. And maybe, just maybe, the reason why you're contemplating divorce is because you feel alone, scared, and you don't know what to do. Can I say this to you, dear friend? Why don't you come to Jesus? Why don't you come to Jesus? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we go to the Lord in prayer today. You may be here and, and maybe here's your challenge. Maybe your challenge is you've got a spouse that's physically abusive. You say, Pastor, what can I do? I don't want a divorce. I don't want to get a divorce. But my spouse is physically abusive to me. What can I do? Dear friend, listen to me very carefully. If you're within the sound of my voice, I'm begging you, get out of the relationship. Leave. If you're being hit, if you're being abused, get out. Get somewhere and get some help. Quickly, get out. I'm not saying run to the divorce lawyer. I'm saying get to a safe place first and foremost. Maybe you're here and maybe you're struggling because maybe your spouse is having an affair. Pastor, I don't want to divorce my, my spouse, but we're not communicating. And the reason why we're not communicating is because my spouse is having an affair. What can I do? Is there anything I can do? Yes, you can commit to pray. Pray for that spouse. Continue to ask God to do a work inside of you. You work on you. And let's let God work on that spouse. I'm not saying that the first move ought to be uh, to the lawyer. I'm saying the first move is we ought to petition God. And we need to find uh, help in this time of need. But for the rest of us here, the reason why our marriages are not what they should be, really the bottom line is because we're communi not communicating. So here's the invitation this morning. 
I'm going to ask you, husbands and wives, why don't you reach out and grab the hand of that loved one, that one that you said I do? Remember those vows you made to each other? Look, you're in a safe place here. This isn't a place of judgment. This is a place of grace. This is a place of mercy. If you recognize that communication hadn't been what it should be in your marriage, then why not recognize it as sin and exercise 1 John 1, 9. You and your spouse together, come, climb up in the altar. Seek God's face. Confess the sin of not communicating. And commit to these principles that we just mentioned this morning. Would you do that? Maybe there's someone here that can't do it because they're not saved. Then why don't you do this, friend? Listen to me, dear spouse. Listen to me, wife. Listen to me, husband. Give your heart to Jesus. You might say, how might I do that? How do I do that? The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So right where you're at, friend, would you cry out to God? Say this to him. Would you say, dear God? That's right. Say it in your heart. Say, dear God, I've made a mess of my life. And I've made a mess of my marriage. God, I need you more than anything. God, would you forgive me of my sin? I believe that you are the Messiah. Heal me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you prayed something like that to God, I want to welcome you as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, and you'd say, Preacher, I did that today. That's, I, did, I asked Christ to save me. I asked the Lord to forgive me. If you did that, would you unashamedly just lift your hand up nice?